Well, as we announced last week with the emphasis that we're placing on prayer with our 100 days of prayer and hoping to uh, involve over 300 people in, um, in this prayer adventure over 100 days, that to announce that we would be doing a, a series of messages on prayer called Prayer Matters. And last week we began by looking in Luke 11 at the request that the disciples of Jesus made to say, teach us, Lord, how to pray, because they had seen that with him. And then I talked about that uh, as we introduced that, that we would get into some of the more thornier issues about um, if God is sovereign, going to do what he wants to do anyway, why should we pray? Or if, um, uh, if, I've, if I've prayed and prayed and prayed and gotten no answer, why should I keep on praying? Uh, even to the more difficult challenge that, like, that Jesus gave us in Matthew 17 that we're using in the little course about the fact if we have faith and we pray correctly, that we can see mountains move and let them be cast into the sea. And I'm going to deal with those. We'll get to those uh, probably in February, maybe the early part of March. But in doing my study for this, then I came across... Uh, some of the prayers that the Apostle Paul has uh, in his letters, and, and they're moving, powerful prayers. And so there are three of them that today and the next two weeks in January uh, we're going to look at from the Scripture. And uh, it's an interesting thing as we look at what Paul's prayers were, to be challenged and ask ourselves, if my prayers were to be written down and, and put on the Internet, would people find them to be helpful to them? Because Paul's prayer was not just specifically aimed at, at these Ephesians uh, as he prayed for them, but it's also a pattern that we can find for prayer in our life. Now, as I went into this prayer matter of sermon series, uh, there were three assumptions that were behind that. The first one was that we all as believers should have uh, a prayer life, and I think that most of us do. The second one is I think that most of us feel really inadequate about our prayer life. If we're challenged to pray uh, unceasingly, as Paul says in Thessalonians, uh, then do we really do that? One of the books that I finished reading during the holidays based on prayer is a, a new one by Max Licato entitled Before Amen. And that's a book about prayer and about the, the power of a simple prayer. And in his introduction to it, Max Licato makes a confession and he calls himself a prayer wimp. And that might be where you find yourself, that I'm a prayer wimp. And I really need the strength and encouragement that I can find that will help me in my prayer life. And that's the third assumption that I go on. And that is that we need some practical guidelines and guidance as the disciples ask of Jesus about teach me to pray. I want to teach the, the mountain moving prayers. I want to be able to pray those mountain moving prayers uh, that, that you pray. And so I think those are the things behind us. Somebody said that your prayer life is uh, the thermometer of your soul and that our prayers reveal what we really believe and our level of spiritual maturity. So those are important things. Now what I want us to do right now is to look at this prayer that we find in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and we'll begin in verse 15. And later on in chapter 3, which we'll look at next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll look at that prayer that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 3. But listen to this one in, first, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we're going to read it, of course, in, uh, in English language. But in the original Greek in which it was written, it's one long, rambling, run-on sentence with all kind of phrases that Paul adds on to it. And so it could be difficult, perhaps, to catch the meaning of this. And exactly what is it that, that Paul is saying he, he's praying for the Ephesians, and then what is it that from this prayer that we need to incorporate into our prayer life, okay? So this is what he says. For this reason, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, that's a great, powerful prayer uh, that Paul was praying for the Ephesians. And, And you might miss the basic message of what is it really that Paul wants them to know? his prayers. And we find that in verse 17, that you may know him better. I see Paul's writing to a church, to a group of believers, just like I'm preaching to you, basically a group of believers here at Spring Valley that make up the church family here. But Paul is praying that I want them to know God more. I want them to know God better. And the same thing is my heart's desire, that we would come to know God better. And Paul is so earnest in this that it's really a prayer that he asks of revelation. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, why do we need that that spirit of revelation and wisdom to know God better? Well, without him, our world is out of focus. We got a quick video, I think, that might help us understand that. For those of us that don't have 20-20 vision, naturally we need some aids to help us with our vision. 
And we know the reality of the fact that without the lenses through which we can see clearly, our world is out of focus. And the same thing is true if we don't have a prayer life. And so if we don't have the, the wisdom and the eyes of spirituality that are open that will allow us to know God better, then my fear is that we're going to be content with an ordinary God. In fact, there was a book published not too many years ago that was based on research that people did in door-to-door interviews with people who would answer the door and they would simply ask them some questions. And one of the most profound was this one. Do you believe in a God who intervenes in human history, who changes the course of affairs, who performs miracles? And the title of the book they came up with is Ordinary God based upon an answer that, in particular that one man gave who said, no, I don't believe in that God. I believe in the ordinary God. Well, you need to understand that the God who is the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not an ordinary God. And the words that we find Paul using to describe him encourage us to get to know him better so that we know that he is not an ordinary God. That's why he wants us to have this revelation and he'll talk about it through the eyes of our heart being open so that we can know God better. Now I think there are three uh, sections to uh, this prayer that I think we need to wrap our hands around today. First of all, let's look at the request that Paul makes. And it's simply in verse 17 he says, uh, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, let's make some observations about what he's saying in that phrase. Notice the phrase that he says, I keep asking. This is the pattern that Paul is using for prayer. It's a part of the pattern that Jesus gives us when he answered the disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them to pray without giving up. And so Paul puts that into practice. He says, I keep asking. I keep praying. He made the request. But he didn't give up on it. He kept on praying. Why repeatedly? But we find out that sometimes we need to keep praying repeatedly to change our heart and to change our mind. But sometimes we have to pray repeatedly so that we are in, in, in touch with the will of God about a certain matter. So we have to understand that God answers prayer in his time and his way. And the simple reason for that is because he's God and we're not. And so we have to keep praying as well. Keep praying, keep praying. Paul says, I know you're believers, I established you, I've I've helped you grow, but I keep praying for you that you will know God more. Then there is the second thing I observe about that prayer. And that is that only God can give us what we truly need. See, it's God, we have to keep praying to him, and we have to keep asking him that. For ourselves and for those who are important and significant to us as we use this prayer. Because only God can give us what we truly need. And that is growth in a relationship with him where we come to know him better. And grow in that relationship with him. And then that leads to the third observation I think we need to make out of Paul's prayer here. And that is the request to know God better. Now, now what would it mean for you? For you to describe what you know about God. How would you do that? Certainly I would hope you wouldn't say, well I just believe in an ordinary God. Because the God to whom we pray is not an ordinary God. And if you just think you're praying to an ordinary God, 
then you're not going to expect anything extraordinary to come from your prayers, are you? So Paul is praying that we would really come to know God, to know that he is an extraordinary God, that he still performs miracles, that he intervenes in the course of human history and into the affairs of our life and of those we love and for whom we pray. Now, basically, when we talk about knowing God, I think there are three levels of knowing him. First of all, there's that level of experience, what we really have experienced about God, even on a limited basis. And from that, we form an opinion about what God is like. Then second is that level of knowledge. That's Bible knowledge. And we got a lot of that. You go to a lot of Bible studies and, and um, you watch a lot of it on television. You do it online and you get an idea about God. But then there's a third level and that's the level of wisdom. And that level comes only through prayer. And here's what happens. Is no matter what we face in life, when we are able to pray earnestly about that to God and ask God to teach us to know him better and ask him through, through his eyes to help us see what's going on, then we get a better perspective. And God's peace begins to come into our life. And we begin to understand that he is indeed not an ordinary God, but an extraordinary God. And we begin to see him in his glory and all that he is. And then that peace of God that Paul says passes all understanding comes to our life. And it is the peace that passes understanding because you can't measure it. You really can't examine it. Um, You really just have to experience it. That's all there is to it. And then when we grow in that relationship with God to know that prayer is, is, is basically building a relationship with God, talking with our Heavenly Father, then our prayers move to a deeper level. Instead of just coming to God with a want list and asking, give me, give me, give me, then we become where we are really seeking God's face and his wisdom about things. And we're praying, Father, help me to learn what you want me to learn through this situation. And help me to deepen my relationship with you. And that's that level of wisdom that Paul wants us to reach so that we know God more. Last week I gave you a thought, and that is, why challenge you to increase and to experience improvement in your prayer life and grow in your prayer life? Well, because I ask you the question, how much of God do you want in your life? And today as I challenge you about your prayer life, uh, the, the question I would say to you is, give to you is then, how deeply do you want to know God? Some people are content to live right there at a superficial level and accept God as an ordinary God. I would hope that you would not want to do that, but that you would want to raise the level of your experience of God to another level because you want to know God more deeply. Help you understand the issues of life and some of the mysteries of life and answer some of the whys that you have in life. So that's Paul's request. There's the second observation. Here's the revelation that Paul desires. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now what's Paul talking about? When he's talking about your heart here, he's not talking about your organ nestled in your chest here that continues to beat and pumps the the life-giving blood that flows through your body. But he's talking about the, the emotional seat of your being. 
And that is where you experience life and where you make decisions. And that's where uh, you come in touch with God. When we talk about, you know, from, from the most simplistic version of accepting Christ is, I invited Christ into my heart. That means you really brought Christ into your life because that's the seat of everything that you are. The heart is the place where you decide what values you will live each day and what you will expect and what you will not respect. A lot of people go through life with 2020 physical vision, but their spiritual vision is blurred, just like the video showed us. Too many believers live that way. Oh, they know God on some level. And basically you can measure that by the depth of their prayer life. But they're basically blind to a lot of the things about God. But when we really deepen that prayer life and we enter into that relationship with God where prayer becomes just as natural as our breathing, that we constantly have a prayer in our heart and our mind, then we encounter God in a most liberating way. The eyes of our hearts become open. One translation says that the eyes of your heart might be flooded with light. And so what does happen when this revelation takes place? Then Christ becomes the very center of our life. In fact, when Eugene Peterson translated this portion of this scripture into the paraphrase that we know as the message, this is, how he, this is how he paraphrased it. He said, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. You see, there are two radically different ways of looking at things. Either The world is at the center of our life and Christ is on the peripheral edge or Christ is at the center of our life and then the world is out there on the peripheral edge. Paul wanted us to have a relationship with God to where Christ was the very center of our life and everything else then was on the peripheral edge. And you see it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I thought about Moses in Exodus 33. And this was basically the prayer that Moses had. That he asked of God, God show me your glory. In other words, I think Moses was saying, God, I really want to see you as that extraordinary God. And the things that you can do, I know are true. I want to see you. Let me, let me just see your glory. And what did God say to Moses? He said, you couldn't look upon my glory and live. But he said, this is what I'll do. He said, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand. Then I will pass over you. And when I do that, then you will see my afterglow. That's what Paul is praying for us as we read this prayer to the Ephesians. He wants us to see the glory of God. He wants us to understand the greatness of God. He wants us to have the spirit of wisdom so the eyes of our hearts could be open and we could see God as he really is in all of his glory.
And, and then that leads to the third observation about this prayer of Paul, and that is the result that Paul envisions. See, if we really get in tune with God in our prayer life, we deepen our prayer life, we deepen our understanding of God, we see something of the glory of God that we've never seen before. Then what is it that should take place? What is it that Paul has as the results for our prayer life? Well, I think, again, there are three spiritual truths when our eyes are open. And this is why it's so important for us to have the eyes of our heart open and to come to know God better. First of all, we realize that, that we experience through God hope that only God can give to us. God gives us the hope that only He can give that satisfies us. See, I think in this world in which we live, there's a lot of hopelessness that just simply prevails. At the, at the end of the first service, I had one lady say to me, is it, ask me, is it okay if I pray anything? I said, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Take everything. She said to God, she said, I'm praying that Jesus comes back this year. I said, why do you want to do that? And she says, look at this world and the mess that it's in. Is it okay to pray that he comes back this year? I said, well, you know, the way it says it in the Bible is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Why don't you pray that? I said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, ask God to help you do something about this world. And see, I think that's one reason that Paul prays that we would have the eyes of our, of our heart open. Yeah, the world's in a mess. I mean, and, and it looks like it's getting worse with no hope. But there is hope when we're in relationship with God. He is the only one that can give us the hope that we need. And when you live in a world like this, with all the things happening that are happening without faith in God and seeing Him as an extraordinary God, it's logical you're going to live without hope. So what happens when we have that confident expectation of hope in a relationship with God? Then we become more like Christ. And we're in Him as He is the center of our life. And then some other things start to take place that we realize are the basis of our hope. And that is because He has eternal life, we have eternal life. And because He is righteous, we are declared to be righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have been adopted into God's forever family because Jesus is the Son of God. And then because Jesus is the heir to the kingdom of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. And when we understand all of that that God has for us, wow, there is the hope that can come only from God. That's one result he wants you to have in your life. Is the hope that the world doesn't have, but hope that you need to give to the world. And hope that you might need to claim today. Some of you might be in here today and you came just simply because it was a thing to do. And you came to worship the ordinary God. And you came without any hope to deal with the situations and circumstances you're facing. No matter what they might be. Family, job, school, home, whatever. You know, finances. You know, whatever. But I want to tell you that when you experience the extraordinary God in the midst of whatever chaos is out there in the world and in your life, then you come to know that hope that only God can give to you, and it changes your perspective. So that's what one thing he wants. He wants us to experience that hope of God. Secondly, he wants us to be able to claim the inheritance that God promises. 
That's what Paul says in verse 18 when he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now obviously Paul is talking about a time in the future when we as believers enter into eternity with God and we spend eternity there. And, and even that is beyond description. Because Paul himself was the one that said, I has not seen or ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And so we begin to wonder, what is heaven like? Anytime I have a conversation with somebody about heaven or preach about heaven, there are always those questions that come up to the forefront. Like, do you really believe that the streets up there are paved with gold? Um, which way will that river of life flow? What, what is the fruit off of the tree that we will be eating? What are we going to be doing in heaven? I guess those are the legitimate questions. And I would say to you, whatever the Bible says, that's what we're going to experience up there. But I think the most important thing that we ought to be concerned about, about heaven, is I want to go to heaven because I'm, I know Jesus is there and I want to be with Jesus. And, and if Jesus is there, then I'm going to be home and I'm going to be home with Jesus. I suppose you've been on, on, had an extra long day and you want to get home. Or you've had an extra long week. You've been on the road. You've flown to four or five different cities. You know, or you go, you've been away on a, on a two-week vacation or whatever, and you're ready to get back home. What is it you want to get back home to? Yeah, there's something about that sense of the familiarity, you know. My recliner, the remote, or, or see my, whatever, you know. Whatever it is that makes home home for you. But I would suggest to you that the most important thing is you want to get home to see the people who are there because that's what makes home your home. And the same is true with, with, with heaven. When we go to heaven, we're going to be with Jesus. And that's going to be the most important thing for us to experience. And that's what Paul is saying about all these glorious inheritance of the saints. Yeah, I believe the streets are paved with gold because the Bible says so. But the most important thing is, is that Jesus is going to be there. And I get to spend eternity with him. And Paul's saying when you grow in that relationship with God, then that becomes the most important thing you want to know about the future. Okay? And then the third thing, and this makes sense, is that he wants us to experience the power that only God can provide because we need that power in our life today while we wait for God to send Christ again. See, Paul talks about this in verses 19 through 21. He wants us to experience his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now Paul uses, I think he's just so excited about the power of God, he uses four different words to describe four different concepts of power when he's talking about the power of God. He uses a word from which we get dynamite. He uses the word from which we get energy. He uses the word that means muscular strength. And he, means the, he uses the word that means courageous power. And I think that only barely touches the surface of the power of God. But the good news for us is, is that the power of God is totally wrapped up for us in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And the power that we get from Jesus Christ is the power that literally exploded when Christ was brought back from the dead and he rose up from the tomb. Now that's the results that Paul wants us to experience. You know, the hope that only God can give, the inheritance that only God can give to us, and the power that only God can give to us. Okay, so we wrap this prayer of Paul's up, this first great prayer for the church at Ephesus. So what do we say? Okay, that, that was Paul praying that prayer for the believers in Ephesus. That's true. But at the same time, we can take this prayer and we can pray it as well. And how would you do that? Well, I suggest you use it as you pray for each other. I suggest you use it as you pray for your family, for your husband, for your wife, for your children. I suggest you pray this prayer for your friends and your family members. Pray it for those who do not know Jesus Christ. Because after all, the essence of this prayer is for people to know more about God. To experience him in a better way. And then we ought to pray for it for ourselves. Because there's not a one of us in here. Who has reached full maturity spiritually. And we need to grow more and more. In our relationship with God. And knowing him. That's Paul's intent for this prayer. For us today. Is that we would get to know God more. Deeper. Understand him as the extraordinary God. And that will radically transform our prayer life. Because then we wouldn't pray just mundane, routine prayers. But we would ask God to do extraordinary things. And we would expect to see God do extraordinary things. And so then I ask you to pray that for the life of our church. And that's one of the main things we're going to be praying for in this 100 days of prayer as we pray in our prayer triplets. Because we cannot go on in this church as life as usual. But we have got to go on on faith doing what this extraordinary God calls us to do in every area of our life. Father, we thank you that you give to us the wonderful privilege of prayer, coming to you and learning more about you and truly experiencing you on a level that's beyond any knowledge that we could ever have in any other relationship. So I pray that we will hear these words of the Apostle Paul. We will take them to heart. We will, we will put them into our prayer life as we pray for ourselves and for others and for the life of this church. And Father, I trust in you to reveal yourself to us as the extraordinary God who does extraordinary things for his people of faith who dare to believe that you are extraordinary. And I pray that, Father, through the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.